knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 69, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear. Today, John and I are catching up, discussing our approach to this upcoming hunting season, any new tactics we plan to use, and any new gear we plan to implement. So stay tuned. All right, all right. What is up, everybody? Happy Wednesday to you, and happy 4th of July. I hope everyone is getting an opportunity to spend a little time with family, maybe a little barbecue, maybe slide a little bit of deer work in over the uh, over the holiday weekend. I will be headed north, in fact. Uh, John and I will probably cover this and what we're doing over the next couple of weeks, but uh, as you're listening to this, I'll be in Cape Cod on a little family Family vacation, maybe do a little deep sea fishing, maybe hang out on the beach a little bit, a little relaxing time here before we get into the the full swing, the full court press, as mine is fast approaching with all the work that I need to get done yet before the uh, before the season starts. But John and I are catching up on what we have planned for this year. Um, some things we're going to try to maybe do a little differently, maybe some you know pieces of gear that we're going to try to use or pieces of gear we've used in the past and that we might try to use a little differently. Um, and that's really kind of the focus of today's conversation, just John and I catching up as we both kind of get geared up and geeked out for the uh, for the season. So we won't belabor this up front too long here, but I do want to take a quick second to talk about our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. This podcast is brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear, the longest, lastest, fastest cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you have ever used. Simply put, the toughest saws on earth. How tough are they? Tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty. And right now, when you visit wickedtreegear.com and use the promo code TRUTH at checkout, you will receive a 20% discount on your Wicked purchase. Also, as a reminder, every purchase that you make with uh, Wicked, Tecamani, or Glacier Coolers puts you in the running to win that kick-ass prize of a free hunt from Whitetail Heaven and a bunch of other cool prizes. So make sure you're headed to those websites and picking up some products now here during the offseason to get yourself uh, 
tossed into the drawing for that uh, for that killer hunt. We're also brought to you by Exodus Outdoor Gear. The new Exodus Trek is a byproduct of all consumer voices who have been excited about what Exodus truck cameras have to offer, but just can't fit a $200 camera in their budget, and that's okay. A budget-friendly camera backed by the industry's leading warranty is now here. The Trek comes in at $145, and in fact, I think they're running a sale right now where you can pick these up for $99. Bucks. So uh, I would hop on that. Uh, this camera has the same proprietary shell design as the Lift Series camera, same five-year warranty, same kick-ass customer service, 0.7-second trigger speed, photo, video, time-lapse, all the things that you come to love about the Exodus cameras, all this one with a single-line backlit LED display for simple use. Also, you get about 20,000 images on a set of lithium batteries, and if you'd like to learn more about Exodus trail cameras, check them out at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you like what you see, you can save yourself 20 bucks and use the promo code TRUTH at checkout. We're also brought to you by Tecamani Seed. Everything is bigger and better in Texas. No matter if you're in the South, Midwest, or Northeast, Tecamani Seed has your food plot needs covered. Visit tecamani.com and check out their product selector tool to help pick the right seeds for your food plot needs. Use promo code TRUTH at checkout and save 20%. And we are also brought to you by Glacier Coolers, simply the world's finest. Whether you're hunting, camping, fishing, You'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, and superior insulation of Glacier Coolers. Visit them at GlacierCoolers.com. Promo code TRUTH. Save 20%. Now let's get Johnny on the line. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today, John and I haven't had a chance to catch up in a little while on the uh, on the show, so we thought today we would do a little John and Clint catch-up and... Also, kind of dive into some of the things we have planned for this year. Talk a little, a little tactics for our 2018 upcoming season. Maybe talk a little bit about velvet bucks. Maybe talk a little bit about gear that we got in our bag for the hunting season, and uh, and a little bit of life. But before we start all that, man, how's it going? It is going. Another uh, another hot day here in Iowa. Yeah, is it is it temperature hot, or are you just bringing the heat? No, it's it's temperature hot today. We, you know, we got a little bit of rain, uh, which was nice. Um, we had been so hot and so windy. You know, you take that heat and the wind together, and man, it just dries everything out. Um, but we got we got some rain, which was good. Um, and then it followed up. We had a couple of days. You know, it was like high in the upper seventies, like you know, low eighties, and. So it was pleasant, um, but the last couple of days, it's uh, it's popped back up into the 90s. Nice. That's a far cry from where you were at last year, man. I know last year you were you were praying for some for some for some rain, but you've had a little bit this year, right? I mean, how are the beans doing okay this year? Better than last year? Yeah, I mean, they, they're they're doing better than what they did last year. Um, you know, this year I planted my beans a lot earlier than I did last year. Yeah, and I was trying to. Um, you know, capitalize on maybe getting them some early rain, get, you know, get a little start, right. get up out of the ground, so to speak. But it seems like a lot of the farmers, they planted even earlier than I did really? this year. So, um, yeah, everybody else's beans are looking really good and I just haven't been getting the rain. So I can't, uh, I can't fault anything other than, you know, lack of lack of moisture. Right. Yeah. Man, we've had a pile of it back here, man. Like, there's just been, it's probably been one of the wettest springs slash early summers that I can remember in a, in a long time. You know, mm-hmm. unfortunately for me this year, it's like I'm doing all, 
mainly all you know fall plots so none of mine are going into the ground mm-hmm. until mid-august you know and i'm like you gotta be kidding me i was like you know what's gonna happen i'm already telling myself i'm like you know what's gonna happen you get all this rain now you decide not to do any spring plots and you're gonna hit be dry as a bone yeah, exactly yeah. you know but you know we'll see we'll see how that kind of shakes out man I'm, I'm holding out hope though i'm trying to be positive i'm like you know what i'll get timely rain i don't need a lot i just need it to be timely you know what i mean like just yeah just that mm-hmm. first couple of days after i get it in the ground just to get it started would be would be great or even like i went outside the other day and there's just so much condensation on the ground just like the humidity level in, in the air like in the mornings and stuff like that that even that right now is just like if i get that type of stuff in august i'll be super super stoked but before we jump into too much deer hunting stuff man what's going on let's do a little a little life check-in man what's going on with you outside the, the deer world anything new and exciting uh well the the wife and kids um they did a little bit of a summer vacation nice uh they went down to go visit um the in-laws and the outlaws mm-hmm. you know they went down to visit my folks and her folks and and her sister and stuff so they've been gone for like a week and a half um been like a total bachelor nice. and which I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it, it sounds super cool, and then you're like, "Crap, man!" <laughs> like, I got to take care of the dogs and and these like the dishes, and there's like laundry and and um, yep. I got to you know pay bills and go get the mail and uh, I need to go to the grocery store and I'm like, I need where's my tag team partner here? You know, right? What I mean? Like, I so, need to, I need to tag out um, real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not as <laughs> the first night. I'm not going to lie. I might have been sitting there on the couch eating Cheetos, right. you know? Um, but after that, I'm like, okay. Yeah. Vacation's over. Yeah, yeah. This is like work. So do you have to do, so this is what usually happens to me. It's like, I have to do a mass cleaning, like at the end, like right before, like my family comes back. Cause I don't do anything Yeah. while they're gone. It's just like yeah. every piece of, like every article of clothing I own is dirty. Every dish in the house is dirty. The sink is full like the whole nine and then it's like a mad rush to try to get everything put back together to make it look like I'm, you know, a, uh, a fully functioning adult <laughs> and not like and not right. a juvenile. The, the way it doesn't look like yeah, I'm I in had college. The, well, I had the sink overflowing. Nice. It was pathetic. Nice. Yeah. I'm like, I shoot. I'm like, I'm out of spoons. <laughs> I don't have any forks. <laughs> that's when you just go straight to like, dang when it. When you just go straight to the chips, the chips has like the, the utensil. You know what I mean? It's like the chip dip I know. right yeah. in. I'm like, what can I eat that doesn't like screw it? I'll just go get fast food somewhere. They'll give me a plastic right, fork. Right, exactly. Well, it's funny because you do start to scrape the bottom of the barrel where you're like, what requires the least amount of preparation that I could eat tonight? Like, w- like that's what the criteria becomes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because at first it's like, you know, my wife will like make stuff before she leaves. She's like, you know, I made you this and I made you this. And, you know, and I'm like, cool. Like, so the first thought is how long can I stretch that? You know what I mean? Like, can I eat just enough every day to where it's like, I'm not really ever full, but I'm not really ever hungry, but I can make this thing last like three days. You know what I mean? Dude, I may have given myself food poisoning. I was reaching back to the depths of hell in the refrigerator, <laughs> pulling out leftovers and I'm like smelling them and I'm like, eh. eh. I mean, if I microwave it long enough, like it'll probably kill anything that was growing. Right. Um, so <laughs> that <laughs> I'm out. Like I'm cleaned out. If I want to make anything, we're talking cereal or I got to cook something. Right. Nice. Yeah. Period. That's awesome, man. I kind of, I kind of fall on the, uh, in the same boat, man. It's a, uh, it's, it's the same drill for me. 
um, I usually I usually yeah. look at it as a uh, you know is there um, you know have I had my penicillin this year you know and is it is it yeah. okay to eat this thing based yeah. based on that? Whoa, now what kind of parties are you throwing when she leaves and goes? Oh, out hey, town? easy, easy, easy. <laughs> Can't give away all the all the all the dirt, man. You know what? Little at a time, little at a time. <laughs> But that's cool. Well, and, and, you know, two things happened as well. Like, so when you're left to your own devices like that and left on your own uh, with the dogs and all that stuff and the regular, you know, just house chores and stuff, I realized, one, how much she really does help oh, me man, out. yeah. Um, two, how quiet it is in my house when the kids are mm-hmm. gone. Um, actually, a third thing, I realized that I work entirely too much. Yeah. Because with as much as I work right now, I couldn't keep this up. Right. It's, it's not possible. Yeah. So I had to move into like a retirement home or something <laughs> and work from there. <laughs> I know, right. I'd move in just. Like where somebody else does it. Right. I'd move in just for the sponge baths maybe. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's, that might be it. Sponge baths. Somebody else cooks for you. Yeah. Lights out. You know, I'm like, sweet. Yeah, it's pretty good. I could be institutionalized. <laughs> oh man, I got a pretty funny story about that. Actually, at some point, I'll have to share with you. I don't know if today is the is is a good time to share that story. I wasn't institutionalized, but a friend may have been, and I may have partially been the cause of that institutionalization. Um, but now, if you were a real friend, you'd be in there with him. Oh, well, I didn't know he went. I mean, so I on. guess I guess now I have to kind of tell the story because we we started down this road. So I was uh, it was when I was in a band. And I was, uh, at the time, actually, actually at this time I had left the band and I'd went back to school. And so I was working at a friend of mine's bar bartending through, you know, through the last couple mm-hmm. years of school. And, uh, a buddy of mine who owned another bar who I used to work with, it was a venue that I used to work at. He was opening a new bar down the street. And so he was there during the day working and stuff like that. And he would come visit me and he's kind of, he's kind of nutty and he would come up and he just, he would get a couple of drinks and he, when he gets a couple of drinks, like he gets squirrely pretty quick. You know what I mean? He goes from like zero to 60. Right. And it's like, Hey, I'm fine. And then the, yeah. the next step is like his clothes are off and he's passed out at the bar naked. You know, that's like a, a pretty usual occurrence. And so my, my, yeah. my strategy for when he would come in, I would look and be like, hell man, he's going to come in and cause all kinds of problems, you know, just kind of like raise some ruckus and I don't want to deal with that tonight. So I would just start, you know, feeding him drinks. You know, and because I figured the sooner I get him to pass out, like the better off I'm going to be. Right. And then I'll just take him home because his house is on the way on the way home from uh, from work. So I'm doing that. And of course, you know, like, you know, like usual, he kind of goes from zero to 60. He eventually decides he's going to leave. And, and I was like, all right. You know, he's like, I'm just going to go down to the bar. And he's speaking in sentence fragments at this point. And he's like, I'm just going to walk down to the bar. And I'm just going to pass out on one of the pool tables and stay there tonight. Because he would do that a lot when he was working there late. And uh so he goes to leave and I don't think anything of it. And, you know, the next day I get a phone call from, from his wife saying, Hey, you know, and I'm not going to mention his name, but have you, have you seen, you know, Jim, I'll call him. Do you see Jim uh, today or talk to him? I'm like, no, I haven't talked. I saw him last night. And she's like, well, I haven't seen him at all today. And he's not answering his phone. And I was like, and he would sometimes go off and, you know, he might get on his motorcycle and go somewhere in the morning and be gone for two days and no one see him. That was not out of the ordinary. And so the next day, she calls again is like, it's been two days and I haven't seen him. And this was on like a Friday, Thursday, he was at the bar. So it was Friday. She called me and then Saturday she called me and I was like, I hadn't seen him. And then Sunday rolled around and then a friend of mine called me and was like, Hey, you know, everyone has no one's seen Jim in like three days. And like, we're not sure where he's at. He's not answering his phone. And 
getting kind of concerned or whatever. So Monday morning, whatever time, like he, he comes out and, uh, uh, it ends up like going home and seeing his wife or whatever. But in the meantime, before that happened, my buddy, like Sunday or Sunday night before his wife saw him on Monday morning, comes up to the bar to visit me and says, Hey, he's like, you know, everyone's been looking for Jim. And I was like, yeah, he's like, listen to this. And so he plays, he gives me his phone and hits this voicemail for me to listen to this voicemail. And I'm listening to it. And it's like the weirdest thing. It's like someone asking someone a lot of questions and then someone who's apparently really mm-hmm. drunk answering them, kind of answering them. And I'm trying to figure out what it is. And here, what happened was, is he left the bar, walked outside a cop saw him, and he was all dirty from working at his bar. You know what I mean? Like, from doing construction stuff. And so they thought he was, like, a vagrant. And so they stopped him because he was all stumbling and stuff, and they questioned him, and, you know, they asked him what his name was, and he told him he was Jesus Christ. And, like, all this, like, yeah. And so, you know, they think he's nutty, right? So they basically took him to the mental hospital and had him committed. And when he sat down at the mental hospital, he asked dialed our friend, and we got the entire like admission into the into the mental institution on voicemail where the guy's asking him questions. He's like, are you married, divorced, or single? And his answer was yes. And then the, he, asked nice. the guy, he asked him what his name was. He's like, ah, I'm Elvis Presley. You know? And so I ended up talking to my buddy when he got out. And he's like, it was kind of funny at first until like I started sobering up. And then the guy licking the TV was really starting to piss me off. So that was... Yeah. Uh, that was the institutionalization story, but that was kind of a regular occurrence. I would like to say it was the only time that that, that, that happened, but that was probably the third time that something similar to that has happened with him whenever I was hanging out with him. So um, hopefully one day you'll get to meet him because I think the two of you together would be a, would be a lot of fun. We'll say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. Nice. But moving on, man, you were talking about the dog, so I got big news. We, we are now... Again, yep. a dog family here at the Campbell residence. So got a pooch for my daughter, black lab. He's a year old. His name's Rocky. He's super cool. Listens real well. Doesn't go to the bathroom in the house, which is like key for me. And already like leash trained and obedience trained and all that kind of good stuff. So I'm feeling pretty, pretty good about it. The next thing is, is I want to try to figure out if, if he could be a hunting dog at all. Cause I'd like to take him. I'd like to do like maybe some duck hunting or goose hunting with him. Have you ever worked with hunting dogs in the past? Um, a little bit, not a lot. Um, you know, a lot of canines, right. um, you know, a lot of, a lot of German shepherds and, and Malinois and stuff like that. But, uh, haven't been around a lot of hunting dogs. Uh, one time I was around a German short hair and was absolutely blown away. You know, I've always been impressed with shepherds, but, um, seeing seeing the german short hairs you know come on point um we were doing some pheasant hunting it's just amazing it's amazing to see those dogs work like mm-hmm. that you know in their in their element you know yeah. yeah watching it i mean there's there's not a whole lot cooler than watching a working dog work that knows what it's doing you know what i mean i've i've done yeah. a little bit of rabbit hunting with uh with hunting dogs in the past um, but nothing, nothing too crazy. Um, I, I think probably just a handful of times, maybe three or four times, you know, a couple of times growing up. Then I think it was probably six or seven years ago was the most recent time that I, that I did it. Um, but I would like to see if he's capable of, of doing it. Maybe we'll have to have someone come on who does that type of like, you know, 
waterfowl training or something like that to, to do a show on that just so I can get some tips, if nothing else, on how to how to teach him. Because it seems like like he fetches well and stuff like that, and he, he you know he listens well in that regard. Like I throw something, he comes and gets it. I can put him on a stay and throw something. He won't run until I tell him to go get it. So like he's got nerves. Like he, he doesn't have to run immediately. Like he can wait for his command. Um, but I just don't know enough about about trying to, you know, teach him the, the finer points of it. I guess the first thing would be maybe shoot a gun with him nearby and see if that spooks him or not. Because if that doesn't work, then I'd say his hunting career might be short lived. But yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, is the dog going to be gun shy or whatever? And and I'm sure there's ways to break him of that. But or I don't know, maybe there's not. I should actually I shouldn't say that. I'm. I'm not a, do- a dog trainer. Yeah, I know. You and I say, yeah, we would be, uh, I, I wouldn't take any dog training advice from others. I, now, I did used to, one of the many jobs that I've had, I used to train dogs, but it was all obedience training. And I did, I started working with the trainers at this place and started working with one dog that was being attack trained for the Philadelphia Police Force. And that was cool. That was right before I left. And so, you know, I was learning how to like to do like the, antagonizing or whatever to kind of see if the dog has the nerve and and that kind of stuff and then right before i left i was in uh, in a bite suit just to kind of experience like the power of of the dog and, and stuff like that to understand like just how powerful they are and um that kind of you know perspective and and it was cool but man i mean there's nothing more frightening than willingly standing there getting ready to let a dog attack you <laughs> you know what i mean like that's that's not a comforting feeling at all even if it is you know work and somewhat controlled but I, um, so back when I was, uh, when I was a rookie, um, one of the canine handlers, he's like, all right, Rook, you know, you gotta, you gotta get bit. You gotta earn your stripes or whatever. And I'm like, what? So we found an abandoned warehouse that was open and he's like, all right, take off running through there and, um, you know, go find a closet or a bathroom or something like that and go barricade yourself in there. And of course they, you know, they gave me a bite sleeve. Right. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, crap. Like, this is this is going to be fun. <laughs> and once I got in there and I got in this bathroom stall and closed the door and had the sleeve on, I started thinking, wait a second. Like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> like, I'm about to let this 120-pound German Shepherd, like, come gnaw on right. me, you know? And I thought, well, what if what if he doesn't go for the the, the arm, you right. know? the bite arm and, and he goes for my leg or something like right. that. Or what if the, <laughs> I'm like, this is going to end so badly. Yeah. What if, and I've never been like probably more scared when you start hearing like the dogs, like his, his paws and his claws, like, you know, hitting the ground as he's getting closer and man, he came busting in there and just drilled me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. man, it, Unbelievable. Dude, it, at least, you know, it, it would have been really bad. I'm, I don't remember what movie that was that they taught the dog to sick balls. What movie was it? You're the movie. You're the movie buff. What movie was that? Where? Oh yeah, um, Chopper, sick balls. Uh, stand by me. <laughs> Chopper, sick balls. That's the best. Yeah, it was a movie that had um, River Phoenix and um, a young um, Corey uh, Corey Feldman and yeah. Had a- had all yeah. the 80s 80s chopper sick balls. chopper sick balls so at least you at least it wasn't chopper man at least you had that going for you yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly but other than that man you know I'm, I'm getting ready to do a little vacation next week i think you know over the fourth of july i think the family and i are going to get out of town do do cape cod you know we're going to head head north 
do a little whale watching. I think I'm going to think we're going to get on a boat and go out and do some fishing and maybe catch some lobsters and see if we can't find someone, you know, in, in that local area to, to fix them up for us when we get off the boat and stuff like that. And other than that, man, I think probably just hang out on the beach a little bit and, and relax, man. That's my 4th of July plan. And when I get back from that, man, that's, that's when I really kind of have to hit the, uh, hit the property stuff heavy and, and start to get ready. You got any big plans for the 4th? I know your family's out, out now, but you doing anything over, over the holiday? Uh, let's see. I will still, let's see. I, I will be, yeah, I'll be in town still. Yeah. Uh, I won't be out of town. I'm getting ready to go to that uh, ICAST show down in Orlando, but that's not till maybe the 7th or 8th or something like that. So 4th of July last year, um, you know, we, we went and sought out some fireworks and the kids enjoyed that. And I like taking pictures of the fireworks and stuff like that. But um, that's all that we're not going anywhere. Nice. We're going to stick around here. That's nice, man. Do the old hot dogs and s'mores. Maybe. Yeah, I, I do like the I do like the staycation. But you're taking another trip soon, man, aren't you? You're headed to Montana, right, To for the uh, TAC? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go to the tax shoot again this year in uh, Big Sky. Um, it's the only tax shoot that I've ever been to, but this will be the third year in a row going there. And, um, you know, I know that there's uh, the PA one and the Texas one and the Michigan one and uh, South Dakota and uh, Utah. I know that they're all awesome. Um, so if anybody gets a chance, definitely go check one of those out uh, in your area. Even if it's not in your area, it's worth traveling. Um, but the big sky one's the last one of the tour and, uh, it seems to be a little laid back because everybody knows it's the last one. And, um, it's just a cool time, man. It's cool to see a bunch of those guys out there that sometimes I don't get to see very often. Maybe I see them at trade show season or something, but yeah, it's a ton of fun. So that's pretty much my vacation. And then after that, um, get back home towards the end of July and then it's going to be pretty much, uh, pretty much, chopper sick balls, um, <laughs> you know, through through at least the first half of August, I'll be scrambling and, and hanging stands and um, starting to make some final preparations uh, for September one. September one, I'll be down in Kentucky. Nice, yeah. So with that, man, let's let's go ahead and do the hard. That was a good good segue there to kind of start talking about some some deer related info we got chopper sick balls institutionalizing our friends and uh all all that kind of good stuff out of the way i know that you and i we talked the other night just quickly on the phone we're catching up one of the rare times that we we talk on the phone and as would hold true you were driving because one of us has to be driving in order for the other to to have a phone call have a phone conversation i think that's like the, (laughs) the prerequisite for us um but we start we started talking a little bit about the upcoming season like like we always do and we started kind of touching on some of the things that we're going to do different this year and you know kind of now that we've had enough time away from the season right cuz i know we kind of talk right after the season where we reflect a little bit on some of the things that that worked didn't work and stuff like that and that's always kind of good cuz it's it's always kind of fresh but i think it's almost foolish at that time to start really kind of laying your plans for the next season like i think it's good to start thinking about it but I think you really need like a little bit more time to have like a reflection period to kind of, you know, really start to put in place like some, you know, really kind of understand what you want to change and how you're going to change it and like the details of that. Right. 
And that was what we were talking about. The, oh, yeah, sure. that was what we were talking about yep. the other night. So I want to, I kind of want to start with, you know, start with you. And I want to get a sense of basically, you know, where we started our conversation the other night. Like some of the things from this past season that you're going to kind of switch up for, for this year and some of the bigger changes you're making. So, um, you know, moving moving out here to Iowa, it was, uh, you know, it's totally different ground. Um, even if it's you're not moving states, if you're just going to a new hunting property, um, you know, it takes a little bit of time to learn it. And, you know, I, I, I know that we should all read topos and, and whatnot, but just because a topo looks like it's a money spot doesn't mean it's a money spot, you know? I mean, we've all, I think we've, we've covered that. Right. Uh, in our hunting knowledge and, and stuff over the years. But so I was super, super aggressive. Um, and I've been known to be an aggressive hunter anyways. I'll roll the dice sometimes. Um, so that being said, I was even more aggressive when I came here, checking trail cameras a lot, um, moving around a lot, just trying to cover as much ground as I possibly could. And and I think ultimately I kind of screwed myself a little bit. So what I've done is um, I'm not negating having, um, you know, doing your due diligence and doing your work because I've had seasons where I didn't do that and it bit me in the ass. Right. So I'm not negating anything that I'm doing uh, less. I'm just really trying to be smarter about it. Um. You know, if it means sometimes if you've got a good win and you want to sit that tree stand three days in a row, sit it three days in a row. Yeah. You know, if you can get away yeah. with it. Um, click on the Ozonics, yeah. you know. See if you can get away with a marginal wind and make it a better win or a decent win for yourself. But I just think that, um, you know, in years past, man, I've put entirely too much pressure and and just literally I, I was running myself ragged. Yeah. Um, you know, hunt hunt every chance you get um you know i've been in those situations where it's like well i could hunt today but you know i've got a really really good wind and man that's such a gamble um because i don't know exactly what my work schedule is going to be i don't know exactly what the kid's schedule is going to be all the time um and who knows it might rain that day or or something else so i still think that there's days that you need to push it and you need to go for it um, so I'm not saying throw all the tactics out, you know, out the window, but, um, I definitely think I'm uh, this year, I'm going to try a little bit different approach and, and, and maybe not be as crazy, crazy aggressive, um, when it comes to the prep season. Right. Yeah. And then just hunt when I can, you know, if, it, if I'm in a good spot, you know what, maybe I'll sit there three or four days. Eventually something will come through. If it doesn't, all right. We'll bounce. We'll go someplace right. else. Yeah, I think the one thing that we were just kind of kicking around the other night was just, you know, the way we categorized it was, you know, be less technical. You know what I mean? Like, there's all this thing. It's it's, yeah. it's one of yeah. those things where, you know, some of the best advice I ever got as a musician, and, it, and I think it really applies here, was, you know, because I was, I never took any, you know, and I'm going to dive into some music stuff here, which people might think it's not totally related, but it, it is because it's, for me, it's like I think of things in analogies and one of the things that this this dude told me was because I was really wanting to take lessons and like understand theory because I never took lessons and I felt like I was lacking something because I didn't understand like music theory and I couldn't read music and stuff like that and I thought if I could do that then I could get to that next level right and 
the best advice he ever gave me was he was like, look, he's like, if that's what you want to do, he's like, take all the theory you want, learn how to read music, understand the theory behind it. Like, yes. He's like, and then do that, you know? And then he's like, and then forget it all. You know what I mean? He, he used some other words cause he was an old hippie. He was like, you know, do a bunch of hallucinogenics and then like lose your mind and forget every bit of it. You know, he was like, and then you'll have it in your back pocket whenever you need to make decisions and they, and you're having to make decisions with very little information or very minimal information of the music you're about to play. You can still execute it, right? So for me, hunting is kind of the same way where he was like, where it's like, I have all this stuff that I've learned, right? And when we learn it, we think that we have to start to apply every piece of it. And then we just start to overanalyze and we start applying too much and we start trying to make things fit into the puzzle, even though there's not a place for that specific puzzle piece. And so that is something that I'm guilty of. And so now I'm trying to just go, you know what? I kind of know a bunch of this stuff and what I need to do now is just kind of go and hunt. And as things come, like read the sign as I see it, make a decision as I see it, rely on the things that I know like to come to me in term, in, in real time, almost so I can make the decision. It's not saying I'm not laying a plan, but I'm going to be very flexible in that plan and not be kind of like a prisoner of the plan that I create during the off season, if that makes sense. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Right. Totally. I mean, you, you gotta be fluid. I mean, you know, I, I love, I love strategizing. And when I say I like making a plan, you know, I'm like, okay, I want to do this food plot this year and I want to turn this ground into food plot, or I want to clear this off, or I want to increase habitat, maybe fall some trees or hinge cutting, you know, those are, those are general guidelines, you know, but when it gets into the season, um, yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at as far as like I might sit there for a few days and if it's not happening, then I'll move and I'm going to be fluid, but not like twitchy fluid. You know what I mean? Right. Like I got to run and gun every single set and, um, you know, and like you like you, you know, you mentioned and we talked about the other night, you've got all these different tactics. You cannot apply every one of those tactics right. and all that technology at one time. Yeah. Like, if you truly believe in every bit of those tactics and you're going to follow every one of them to the letter, well, hell, you'll never hunt. Yeah. Because you're like, I can't go into that spot. I'll blow this out. Well, you know, my approach isn't good there. My wind's not good here. I don't have my ozonics here. Man, I don't have a food plot there. You know what? I need to be on a, a field edge. You know, the moon guy says I need to be in a, a you know bedding area. You apply all that crap and it just, you know, you got to find the tactics that work for you or... Uh, I still do believe in following the high probability things, right. you know, barometric pressure. You know, there's a couple of things that I, I do stick to, um, and those are part of just my core, you know, hunting tactics. But, you know, the, a real, real short story um, in 2015, correction, 2014. 2014, there was a buck that I was trying to kill there in Kentucky, and I was technical, man. I had him patterned everything all my tactics were spot on and and i kept seeing the deer but he was out of bow range and i'm like what the heck is going on you know 
and I kept moving and I kept moving. Well, all I was doing was just bumping him and bumping him and bumping him. And, and, um, you know, my buddy, Mike Riddle that I used to hunt with in Kentucky, um, he's like, you know what? We just need to go to the top of the ridge. And I'm like, whatever, you know, at this point I was just kind of like, yeah, it's meant to be. It's meant to be. We went to the top of the ridge and we killed him first hit. And it just, you know, I was, I was so locked into my tactics and all the technology and everything that I was trying to do. It's like, I was trying, it it almost felt like I got myself in a position where I was trying to prove myself. Right. Right. Yes. It's, and I was screwing myself. It's funny that you say that because I was talking with Zach Farrenbaugh from, from the hunting public. And we talked about this where, you know, guys want to be right so bad, guys and girls, you know, whatever, want to be right so bad that they'll ignore blatant sign that's telling you that you're either in the wrong spot or that you should be in another spot just on the off chance that they might be, that they might be right. So they can say that I had, I had this figured out, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. you know, you, we will cut our nose off despite our face, essentially, you know, as, as hunters, because we want, you know, we want to believe that all the work that we put in and, and that we want to understand these deer, you know, as, as, as best as we can and that we, and that we get them, that we can get, you know, kind of inside their, their brain to a degree. But, you know, I think, you know, a guy that I, you know, I read his books and, you know, look up to as far as a guy who knows deers, you know, Steve Bartilla, and I've had an opportunity to talk to him and he's, he respects the animal immensely, but he will be the first one to tell you. He's like, we give these animals way more credit than they probably do in terms of how smart they are. You know, he's like, they're not capable of reasoning. They don't have a reason other than it's going to be safe in a place when they take off to run. You know, he was like, they, they there's no like reasoning skills beyond like cover food and, and procreation. Like that's real. And that's it. You know, he's like, so, you know, oftentimes we as hunters kind of try to make more out of what they're doing than it really is. You know, it's like, I mean, I think we should always ask the question why, but I don't think the the answer is super deep necessarily, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's pretty, I think, I think it's mm-hmm. pretty high level. Like they're not, you know, it's going to be, well, why did that buck come out on this, you know, on this trail versus the other one? Well, maybe as you, I mean, you've even said this in the past where it's like, well, maybe a coyote walked out in that 30 minutes ago, you know what I mean? And bumped him off like where he's normally, yeah. normally going. It's, it, it's not like, there's not like a big mystery about it. There was something that happened that made him turn course, whatever it might be. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It wasn't like he, yeah, I mean, he decided to take those, a walk. Uh, GPS trackers. Cute. Good. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, it wasn't like he just decided to take a walk about, like he just got up and was like, ah, I think I'll take a different route <laughs> yeah, today. You know, yeah. just go over and see. Go over and see Greg the deer and see how he's doing. It's like, no, he's like, there was a reason why he made that move, whatever it is. You don't need to necessarily know what it is. You just need to know that there was, there was an aversion there. Well, I think in, you know, QDMA, uh, every time they release any of those GPS, um, the, the tracking, uh, over the map overlays and stuff like that. And you get to see how much those deer Mm -hmm. travel during the day. And, you know, let's say a deer travels two miles or something, you know, pedometer mm-hmm. miles. And, and I'm like, so you mean to tell me that sometime in the course of that two miles, something didn't spook him. Right. Something didn't put him on high alert. You know, did he need five alerts that day to maintain that same schedule that he'll show up in that food plot at 6 p.m.? But what if, what if the farmer fired up a tractor or 
what if he didn't want to cross the road, you know, at that time or whatever? Um, you know, it, okay, so now he makes it into the food plot at 8 p.m., and it's whenever you were walking out. And when you were walking out, you busted him and blew him out of there, and you'll never see him again. I mean, you can really beat yourself up on some of these travel routes and travel patterns. And, again, you know, that's why I say you go to the high percentage areas and then just hope for the best. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, going back to something that you said earlier, you know, when you said you're going to hunt a little less aggressive, you know, you're talking about just, you know, aggressively pursuing, you know, a multitude of, of tactics per se, per se, you know what I mean? And, Correct. and, and yep. for me, you know, I'll, I'll say, I'll use the word aggressive here, but a little bit differently than you did, which is I'm going to hunt more aggressively. And what I mean by that is, is I'm going to not be so particular about, you know, the conditions necessarily matching up with exactly what I'm looking for. You know what I mean? It's, I've done that in the past where, you know, I I was fortunate last year that I tagged out early in, in, in Pennsylvania, but there's, you know, in years past, you know, I've, I would, you know, avoid hunting, you know, on certain weekend days because I just didn't get the right weather or whatever. And the truth of the matter is I'm normal dude works a normal job, you know? And so weekends or when I really have time to hunt, other than the time that I take off around the end of October, beginning of November, when I take some, you know, extended period of time off to hunt. And so if I do that, if I wait for those perfect weather conditions or the weather to just match up just so it's like, I'm really, I'm losing a lot of days to hunt. And last year was one of the reasons why I wasn't able to kind of go after that deer that I was, you know, kind of targeting and going after. Cause I was waiting for good weather days to land on the weekend. And it just, as I was looking at the forecast, it just wasn't going to happen. You know what I mean? But in hindsight, I probably just should have, you know, put it all on black and let it ride <laughs> and went after him. You know what I mean? Like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to bump him and not, not get a chance to, to kill him. You know, it's someone killed him during, you know, rifle season. So that's not going to happen as an opportunity for this year anyway. So it, you can't control all the odds. The best I can do is just go kind of work with what I have and, uh, and make a good effort, you know? And so with that, it's like, I'm going to definitely probably, probably hunt, you know, a little bit more risky wins this year. Um, you know, going to use the Hozonics unit and kind of put it to the test and see if I can get away with a little bit more than I've gotten away with in the past. And, um, and with that kind of mentality, it's like, I'm going into it knowing I'm going to take some risks. So if they don't pan out, I'm not going to be terribly, I'll be disappointed, but I'm not going to be mad about it because I'm making the decision now saying, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to go risky and aggressive and the results are going to be what the results are going to be. I'm, I might bump some deer. Yes. You know, and I may blow an opportunity here and there, but I feel like if I do that, I'll give myself more opportunities, which then should hopefully equal more opportunities to see deer. Um, not going to be a complete bonehead and hunt a complete opposite wrong wind, but you know, if if it's if it's an iffy wind, then I think I can get away with it. I'm, pro- I'm going to try it. Before we continue our conversation, let's talk about Wicked Tree Gear saws. Hardcore deer hunters need hardcore tools. Do yourself a favor and check out Wicked Tree Gear, the toughest hand saws and pull saws on earth. You buy it once, you buy it for life, backed by a lifetime guarantee. Right now, if you use the promo code TRUTH, you'll save 20% on your next purchase with free ground shipping. So head over to wickedtreegear.com and get a saw that's tough enough to work as hard as you hunt. So with that, being being more aggressive, is there anything that you're going to throw into your bag of tricks this year 
that would be new outside of tactics? Is there any, are, are there any new pieces of gear that you're going to use? Is there anything that you're looking forward to trying out this year that you've not used in the past that you're, that you're looking forward to, to, to check it out? Uh, you know, I made, personally, I made a switch over to the HHA sites. Um, very dedicated to the single pin. So it's going to be a matter of, um, you know, a lot of practice this summer and making sure that it's second nature to me and uh, the motor skills and the, um, you know, motor functions are there even in stress situations, um, you know, to remember to adjust my pin. Um, so that's, uh, on a, on a technical side, um, that's one thing that I'm getting used to. Um, are you with your single pin? Are you planning to make adjustments in the tree stand, or are you going to set it at a at a yardage? You know, like 25 yards. And yeah, so that's my plan this summer. Is um, I'm going to probably leave it at say 25 or 30 mm-hmm. yards. I haven't decided which, um, and really learn, really learn my bow. And exactly where that arrow is hitting at 20, where it's hitting at 25, where it's hitting at 35. Um, So if I get in a situation where I've got it locked in at 25, I know that I just need to make a slight, you know, you know, aiming at a different point of the body or something, aim a little high, aim a little low, you know, something like that. But, um, you know, any, anything outside of that, generally speaking, you know, you can probably, you can move a little bit and, you know, you, you have time to make that adjustment, but, um, that's one tactic that I'm going to play with. Um, I can't say that I'm going to stick to it until I, until I get myself, uh, practiced in it. Um, I'm very liable to, if he's at 20 yards and then he moves to 24, I'm liable to dial it to 24. You know, I'm just, that kind of worries me sometimes, but um, take away any kind of margin of error. Yeah. Right. But, um, so that's, that's one gear change, uh, that I am making this year. Um, I've implemented a couple of things, um, with my food plot strategy. That's a little bit differently this mm-hmm. year. Of course, mother nature is going to hold all the cards <laughs> yeah. in that. Um, one of my leases, I didn't have any food plots on it whatsoever last year. So, uh, there's food plots on it now. So we'll see how that kind of plays out. But um, um, I did implement an off-season uh, off feeding program this year, um, just trying to encourage more more summer mm-hmm. deer. Um, you know, and that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with my food plots. Right. You know, just try to hold more deer right. for 12 months, you right. know. Yeah, I uh... – so those are those are I guess that's my three, that's that's my that's big, three. big three, food plots on a lease, feeding schedule you know off season feeding and uh, and a site change on my nice. bow. Yeah, I I switched to a single pin this year too, and I have mine set at twenty five, and it's just you know I, I shoot just about every day with it, and I'm pretty comfortable with it now. Like I'm I'm good out to about thirty seven yards with it. I've kind of fallen the same camp as you, where I can't make any promises that if I have a deer kind of poking around it, you know. 32 yards or you know 28 yards or something like that if i have time i won't make the make the adjustment real quick you know what i mean but right now it's like i kind of have it figured out you know on my 3d target where you know if i'm at 37 yards you know where do i have to hold that pin on him 
in order to get it to drop into the into the lungs. And it's what's really actually the more challenging part is that a lot of times when I'm shooting at a 3D target or even when I'm hunting, it's like I'm, you know, it's just I'm probably not any different than any anyone else out there listening. Be curious, John, if, if you kind of do it this way too. But I always kind of aim for right behind the front shoulder and I'm trying to like heart punch it almost every time. Like just I don't even think about it. Just I naturally go there. And I'm trying to retrain myself to move my pin back a little further and, and concentrate more on double lung more so than, than, than heart area. Um, just because I'm going, I'm, I'm innately going to have a margin of error because I'm not holding a pin exactly where I want it to, to be. I'm having to, to gap, you know, is that something you're finding as you're starting mm-hmm. to play around with it that you, you kind of do too? Yeah. You know, and, um, and I've never been one of those heart guys. Um, you know, I, I've always been a big, um, double lung, maybe even get a little liver. Mm-hmm. Um, I like center body. Um, I like up in every chance I can to have an entry and an exit wound and not just, um, you know, well, we, we penetrated both sides, but the arrow's still in him. I want the arrow through mm-hmm. and through. I want two unobstructed holes. Um, so, you know, last year I had um, I had kind of changed my aiming points just a little bit, and and it, it bit me. Yeah, it, you know, it bit me once. So, um, hmm. I think I'm gonna go. I'm going back to more of a double lung shot. Like I said, I just I want full complete pass right. through, even if it's a quarter away shot i'm i want i want an, an entry and an exit hole unobstructed right. yeah and going more for that so that with that you'd be going more of that center mask like that cavity center mask kind of kind of shot to a degree correct yeah uh-huh. and that's what i'm having to that's what i'm yeah. having to kind of break myself of is is needing to move more toward that especially whenever you start gapping because you know there's at 37 yards for me it's like my my pin is like floating on the back on the the backbone of the deer essentially of a 3d target you know what i mean mm-hmm. so um it, it, when you try to start dropping them into the old pump station at that distance you know and you're hovering like that it's um you know you don't realize there's a lot to miss if you miss the heart forward you know what i mean like if you miss that forward you're out you're out of oh, the lungs yeah. now yeah you catch catch hard shoulder yeah, yeah. you know exactly so hit yeah. or miss so that's the one thing well i'm and- sorry go ahead well, and somebody to add to that, somebody had also I talked to the other day. We were discussing the differences, say like deer and antelope, mm-hmm. and where an antelope um, is is so much more used to drier situations, mm-hmm. and um, you know, yeah, they they got to drink water, but um, it's you know you shoot a deer, and so many people find a deer near water, and it seems like it's kind of a triggered deal. You know, a deer gets hurt, and they're like, oh god, got to go to water, right? You know. Um, you know, when you hit that big cavity and you cause extreme trauma and there's blood loss, um, you know, the deer are definitely, you know, drawn more, more to water and they're not used to losing blood like that, um, to their bodies emptying out and things. You know, I know somebody told me once before, they said, oh man, you know, you just barely nick an antelope and they'll just tip over. No. (laughs) Nine times out of ten, guys I've talked to, you know, hunting antelope, uh, they're like, no, the thing lived and ran forever before it died, right. you know. So that's another 
an, another reason that I like, um, you know, taking those big cavity yeah. shots. Yeah. So hopefully I can break myself of that. Cause that's the one thing that I'm, you know, trying to continue to work on. But for me, for gear change this year, so I, I think I have two two big ones. So, and I know that you've you've used this in, in the past, and, and we've talked about it a little bit. But you know, this year will be the first year that I'm using ozone in the woods with an ozonics unit while I'm while I'm hunting. I've used ozone in the past, um, just in terms of you know washing my clothes and stuff like that. That I was I was a believer in that in that regard. Um, but going to do that for the first time in the, in the timber, which I'm, which I'm excited about. It's one of the things that, you know, even when we had Cole on and we were talking about, it, you know, he'd be the first to say, look, it's, there's, there's nothing that's foolproof. You're never going to fool him a hundred, you know, a hundred percent of the deer, a hundred, hundred percent of the time. You know, it's just not the reality of it. And that's not necessarily what I'm looking to do with it. What I'm looking to do with it is just by myself. And when I say that I want to hunt, the, you know, more aggressively and, you know, hunt some winds that are maybe wrong slightly wrong for me or or teetering on the on the edge of stupid um you know can that unit buy me 10 yards 15 yards whatever it is to try to get the shot to be able to hunt that wind that i typically wouldn't hunt so that's one thing that i that i'm adding and i'm really looking forward to using um, the other thing is something that's just kind of been new within probably the last two weeks because you know, I know, you know, just like a lot of folks out there listening, you know, probably hunt like I do a combination, just like John does a combination of some public and some, some private and, you know, and here and there. And, um, you know, it seems like the majority of my hunting when I do my trips is on public ground. Like I go to Ohio every year and that's, that's a public ground hunt, you know, for eight, nine days, however long I get out there. And then, you know, the family properties and stuff like that, which are, you know, private, of course, and a little bit more controlled in, in, environment. And so some of those public land, you know, jobbies are, it, it's a hike in, you know, and I, and I love using my lone wolf stand and sticks or my climber, depending on what kind of area I'm into. And if there's a known tree that I'm going to get into or whatever the case might be, and it's allowed me to hunt mobile, which has been great. But I still, last year when I was hunting with, with Chad, where we were hunting in Ohio, like the, the terrain was brutal and the hikes in weren't pleasant. And even with the, that light, lighter, you know, mobile, you know, lone wolf setup, it was still kind of a bitch to get in and out. And by the time you get in, you're all sweated up and you know, you know, you're stinking already and, and, and shit like that, which isn't, isn't good for the, for the hunt. And so I kind of started thinking, and I do this every year, I go through my pack and I, and I dump it out and I'm like, what are the things I can get rid of and not have to take to lighten my load? And somehow before the beginning of hunting season, everything that I decide to take out of it makes it back in. And so this year I was like, what are some other ways I can start to lighten my load? You know, what is a, is there a way that can lighten my, my stand situation and stuff like that. So this year I'm actually going to kind of jump into giving saddle hunting a try because it, I'm interested in it for two reasons. One is just the lightweight nature of it. Like I can still take my lone wolf sticks in, like they're plenty light enough. I can throw the saddle in, in my bag and walk in and get up a tree pretty quickly. You know, the saddle weighs two and a half pounds. Maybe they got some pretty clever ways to clip different gear to you. That way when you climb up the tree, you only go up once, you know, Um, but then the other thing is too, is to, you know, how many times have we been in a tree and not had a shot at a deer because we were on the wrong side of the tree. Right. And the saddle kind of helps you overcome some of that because you can get around the entire tree. Um, it's going to be a completely foreign concept for me because I've never used a saddle in my life. Um, I'll have one, I think here end of July and I'll be spending some time in my, in my yard, you know, shooting a 3d target, trying to get used to like the different shot angles and stuff like that. But 
those are the two big things that I'm changing this year. And the saddle piece, I'm really, you know, really looking forward to, to seeing how that might change, change how I hunt and, and, and change the type of opportunities I get. But I don't know, John, have you ever, have you ever used the saddle or, or entertained that idea? I've never, I have never used, uh, used a saddle. Um, I know some guys that, that have, um, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool deal. Um, I am interested how, how come like people have gone away from it. If it was a safety thing, um, if it's just a fear of heights thing, you know what I mean? Like, so in in full um, trans, but I've heard some great stories. Yeah, I mean, I think in full transparency for me, my biggest hang up with it is going to be the fear of heights thing. I'm not scared of heights per se, but I definitely, the first couple climbs of the year when I crawl into my stand, especially that first one, when you haven't done it in the dark in almost a year, you know what I mean? And you, and you're climbing up in and you can't really see a whole lot of anything. It's like, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't just a little unnerving for me, you know what I mean? And it it quickly kind of comes back and then, and then I'm okay. You know what I mean? But that whole idea of just being completely out and, you know, no, like just this saddle holding me up. Like you can get a small platform with them. And that's what I kind of plan to use. I plan to use a small like predator platform with a saddle instead of using the steps all the way around the tree. Cause I want something a little bit more solid that kind of mimics the idea of a tree stand um, but that's about the size of what your what your tree stand seat is essentially. Um, but that's probably one of my biggest hangups as far as is just kind of being hanging out there free and not feeling like the traditional support that I'm used to of having a stand under under my feet. I would say that they're pretty. I mean, I say that they're safe as just about anything because I know this is really kind of how arborists like use to trim trees. Like it's a you know it's kind of like almost like a rock climbing unit and arborist kind of kind of unit you know so i I'll, I'll give you a full report once i get it and kind of kind of let you know how it how it works out and if i scare myself shitless hanging in a tree with that thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> or after your first hunt you want to buy some spurs yeah yeah exactly i'm like yeah i'm not even going to use sticks after that i'll just like get those old climbing spurs get old, old timey from whenever they used to use the leather lineman's belt and the spurs that climb up the trees to, yeah. to cut them you know some guys do that man some guys use those type of climbing like spurs on their boots or whatever they are to to hunt out of a saddle or they just climb up a tree in the saddle and they're good to go which i don't know i don't know that i could get to get to that but i'm looking forward to it man i'm hoping that it gives me some more mobility to get in in and out of places quicker and quieter and you know i don't know that it's going to be right for every hunt um you know it would depend on how much I know about the area. And, um, but I think it will be helpful if I'm going to spots that I don't really have a tree picked out. I'm more have an area picked out and I'm going to go in and kind of still hunt my way in and look for hot sign to set up on. I think then it could be really beneficial. Um, but you know, maybe we'll have to have someone on, you know, like a, a John Eberhard or something like that to, to talk about saddle hunting. Cause I know he's a big, big advocate for saddle hunting and pretty much hunts hundred percent out of a saddle. So maybe get some tips from the expert but there you go yes sir but i think man you're gonna bring back the saddle yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna bring it back dude i'm gonna bring that back and you bring back the mullet we'll do it at the same time mullet saddles there we go we just created a business dude mullet saddles done nice yep there you go so one last thing to touch on man before we uh before we try to wrap this wrap this thing up is uh just a quick velvet check-in 
you know, I you uh, you texted me a picture the other day, and uh, I was sitting at work when I got it. Which thanks for that because I did no more work the rest of the day. I daydreamed about bucks and read deer information <laughs> online and got no work done. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, man, it looks like you have a at least from that picture, man. It looks like you have at least one hammer hanging out. Yeah. Um really good looking deer it's it's still a little early to tell but um that was actually on my personal property and the very first year that i moved here um i didn't get any cameras out till probably end of may uh first of june and there was two two deer that i got pictures of and they both had forked g2s and one had a fork g2 and a fork g3 um, the forked G two and three buck, uh, he was found dead, uh, in velvet on the side of the road. So probably hit by right. a car. Um, the forked G two buck, he was really cool looking, but he was really small, uh, wasn't very big and he vanished. Um, so I'm going to go back and start looking at some old pictures of him. This could be him. And... If it is him, this would put this deer at five this year, estimated, you know, four or five. Um, he was he was either two or three uh, when I got pictures of him in, in 16. So, um, nonetheless, it, you know, there could just be some forked, um, forked tine genetics running around, or it could, it could, in fact, be this same buck. So, um, that, that's interesting. It's exciting. Nice. Now we did talk right before we started recording where you, you made the comment to me that, you know, that you don't get too terribly excited about, about velvet bucks. And then you had, you had a reason yep. why, but you said you were, you weren't going to tell me until the, until we started, uh, until we were on the podcast. So I'm curious yeah. what your, what, what that, uh, what that is with your non-excitement for velvet bucks. Um, so man, it it just comes down to um 2013 2014 um and 15 um i set my sights on one buck that i was getting troll camera pictures of and velvet pictures you know watched them all summer in i was able to harvest the deer in 13 and 14 in 15 i didn't he vanished i ended up shooting a different buck that showed up on troll camera but I didn't have my heart set on him at that time. You know, I, at the time I was still thinking the original buck was going to come around. Um, so in 16 and 17, I had my heart set on big velvet bucks that I was getting pictures of and I wasn't able to kill those. One vanished completely. The other one was actually killed by a neighbor. Um, I'm in a spot uh, where where I live, I don't uh, I don't get a lot of pictures of deer in velvet, and then see them hard horn, and then see them late season. I either get them in the summer or I get them in the mm-hmm. fall. Um, so I just I get excited when I see velvet bucks, um, and you see the potential that's running around out there. I just don't get as tore up and uh, you know on those velvet bucks because hey, I got pictures of them in June. It's a whole nother thing to get pictures of him in October and November. Yeah, uh, preach there, man. That's for sure. 
So that's what it comes down to. Yeah, for me. it's it's funny you say that because like I have two separate experiences. You know, for like the one on the on the one farm, the bigger farm that Lucky was on last year, I will get usually two or three. You know, every year that come in that I see in velvet, and then they'll stick around. Now they'll be maybe more or less visible once they turn hard horn. Just just depends, but they don't typically ever completely vanish. There'll be a handful of them that kind of I see during the summer and. I see through the fall on, on camera or, or live. Right. Um, like lucky was one, he was always mm-hmm. there during the summer. He usually would show up about, you know, late July, early August. Then you would see him through the middle of October. Then he would go nocturnal and you really wouldn't see him in daylight until you got toward, you know, late season, right around Christmas. And then he would start showing up again during daylight. Now my dad's property, the new mm-hmm. property is, is different where it's like last year, None of the nice deer that I had on camera in the fall showed their face once during the summer in velvet, right? There was one younger up-and-comer, you know, nine point that was a nice deer. He was in velvet, and I saw him. But, like, that the hammer eight point that I'll, that I, you know, hope to see this year, he didn't show up until, you know, he was hard-horned. It was probably middle of September, late September, the first time he showed up. The other, you know looked like it was a four and a half year old, maybe a five year old for Pennsylvania, which would be crazy. Just judging by body size, the deer was a tank, but he didn't show up until October. You know what I mean? So it's like the better, you know, so, and then they disappear after gun season and I don't see them at all. So it's really, and this is perfect because they don't, they're not on the property really at all, except during October and November. And then they disappear and come back the next fall. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out this year. I've yet to go back to pull like real velvet, velvet, uh, velvet cards. I, I did a pull a few weeks ago just cause I was back and had to do some stuff around the property and they were just, you know, popping at that point. So there wasn't really, you know, anything identifiable to know who's who and, and stuff like that and, and to get excited about. But, you know, here in the next two weeks or so, when I start going back to get food plot stuff ready, you know, I'll, I'll pull those cards and that's when I'll start to see if there's anything, anything poking around it, you know, at the farm, if there's something nice down there that, that will get me a little excited because I know there's a high likelihood it'll stick around or at least be visible at some point during the fall at my dad's. If there's nothing on the yeah. property, you know, when I pull the card, I'm not going to get too, too bent out of shape about it because last year that was kind of the same thing. And, uh, the, the nice deer didn't show up until, until October or late September, early October. So, so that's mm-hmm. my velvet check in, man. With that dude, I think, uh, I don't have any more, I don't have any more updates and I've been laying on this, on this bed, talking to you since my internet crapped out i'm actually i turned down the lighting just a little bit since i'm in the bedroom laying on the bed talking the sweet sounds of deer hunting got a little mood lighting make everyone feel weird before we get off here yeah really (laughs) (laughs) awesome man and on that note note, uh i'm going to go do manly things right now all right, folks, that is a wrap for today. Uh, we'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, that will make sure that all the uh, new podcasts or upcoming podcasts get delivered directly to your iPhone or your Android device. Also, if you're not yet following Truth From The Stand on Instagram and Facebook, be sure to do that. Uh, this will be a, a great way for you to get involved. And in uh, a few giveaways that we'll be doing, there's one running right now with Trophy Ridge. Uh, so that post is up on Instagram, and all you need to do is follow the directions of that post. Uh, I think you have to like the post, comment on it, and tag two buddies. 
and you get into the drawing. We'll be uh, kind of announcing the winner of that here after the 4th of July weekend, so you have the remainder of this week to get involved with that. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout-out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Tecamani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, and Trophy Taker Rests. And until next time, we'll see y'all. Broken letters, rationalize yourself in numbers, but I gotta get All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.